that's the prime time to reach out to them and give them what we would consider extraordinary service, something they wouldn't expect, which is a, a telephone call. Or if we're going to email them, offer the opportunity to, I'm available right now if you want to just jump on the phone. Or same thing with the text message, suggest to them that if you'd be open to it, I've got the information you asked about right here. Uh, let's jump on the phone. And, and now the customer is in a position where they're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll walk out here in the hallway. My boss isn't, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about that. Bridge is a podcast for all businesses where the consumer purchase takes place at a physical location, but those same consumers are shopping and narrowing their choices down online. That jump from online to in-store is where most businesses struggle. Each episode, we'll focus on real strategies and examples from industry experts on how to dominate this complex and competitive environment by sharing the latest trends in technology and process. In this episode, we chat with David Kane. His organization, Kane, is 100% focused on training salespeople to leverage digital leads. He brought a wealth of personal experiences, the concept of extraordinary service, and a lifetime of interesting stories to the conversation. Let's jump right in. This is a gentleman who has an incredibly rich history uh, in the automotive space and uh, starting with uh, growing up with his, his dad in the car business and then branching out and becoming a, a digital trainer, um, not only in automotive, but have branched out to additional retail uh, environments, 100% focused on helping train salespeople on how to leverage digital leads. Uh, you know, absent of me butchering your intro, I'd love to understand a little bit more, if you could, from your own words, you know, brief int- uh, history of you and how we kind of got to got to today and, and how you are the expert you are. I'm like a lot of experts that came to me environmentally. Uh, my father, uh, the day I was born, was a Ford dealer. And I've got eight brothers and sisters and I'm number six. And just like my siblings before me and after me, we were carried into the dealership as infants and uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was about automotive retail. And we basically had three sales meetings a day if we ate with our father and learned all about how to assist guests as they came through and, and decided they wanted to improve their transportation. So I did that as a dealer's kid, which anybody who's operating a retail operation can appreciate. They're the children of the business owner. So uh, I was a terrible employee while I was a, my dad's son uh, going through the dealership. But once I graduated from college, I hit another gear, if you will, and, and really took to uh, retail sales. I the real education came when the internet started to really percolate in 96 for automotive. And uh, our dealership got very active in working with the customer who uh, facilitated the education online. But then they get to the point where they wanted to touch and interact with the product. And so what we became really proficient at was how to bring that experience that they received online into our facility. And it worked out great. You know, if, if we recognized what the customer's ambitions were and we 
appreciated the fact that they had this huge body of knowledge instead of us trying to make them start all over. We use their uh, knowledge base as an interactive point to really build credibility. And in automotive, I think we can all agree, and you can read all the studies, car salespeople are not necessarily that well thought of. So it, it really became imperative that we built a, a solid reputation that, that really coincided with the consumer's viewpoint that the internet provided a high level of transparency. So I um, did that for several years at the start of the internet. And then I served on Ford's dealer council. And because the internet in 2000 was so important to dealers, and, and more importantly, dealers were scared of it completely. They felt like everybody was just going to go to the factory and pick up their car. We created um, what is still today the only joint venture between a motor company and their dealer body, a company called FordDirect.com. But that ambition literally was to let that customer who shops online come all the way through. And our our impression was the motor company built really great cars, but the retailer was responsible for that in market, in the small town uh, relationship. And if we could work in harmony, wow, that would be really spectacular. What we found was the retailers were not really doing a great job of handling that guest once they ask for information and then the transition to get them into the facility to purchase a, a product or, or in this case, a, a vehicle was really immature. So I saw a market opportunity and um, I created the company that I've been doing for 16 years, which is Kane Automotive. And we set up internet sales operations and business development center operations for retailers coast to coast and in Canada. Awesome. And I know you've probably seen this where, and we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, people, everybody wants to be Amazon. The, the, the difference is that people, when they buy online based on our data, they are only willing to really spend so much in terms of kind of the mass audience versus doing a lot of the research and then actually making that final choice online. And so automotive never got confused by the shopping cart or never got confused by trying to do the full transaction. More importantly, they embraced a portion of the sales process being done online and then figuring out how to transition it from online into a salesperson. Yeah, it's interesting that you you raise it that way because um, what we're finding is if a guest comes into any retail operation and they're greeted by the in-store clerk, what we typically would find is, is you'll have a handshake, some pleasantries exchanged, and then we quickly forget each other's names. And what's interesting is we could still go on and end up buying the product or service from whoever greeted us when we came in. But the nice thing is with the internet, is I always like to kid our clients and say, well, the the customer left to fill out a form online actually does a better job with the paperwork than the employee in the facility. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, That's very so true. <laughs> so they, they spell their name properly. They capture the address properly, their communication, email, and, and uh, phone numbers and things of that nature. And they do a really great job of attaching a product or a service to their request. And if, if you think of a, a retail clerk that you've interacted with lately at a computer store, a television store, a mattress store, or any other kind of retail, 
oh, you walk out and, and I forgot their name and they certainly forgot my name. So we think the facilitation that the internet provides actually makes that quite a bit better. So let's just jump right in uh, and, and and start to pick your brain on some of the things that you've learned. Uh, now, I'm a, I'm a retailer. I'm trying to embrace this. I'm recognizing that the amount of people that are just showing up are, are diminishing, although my, my close ratio is increasing. And while I want to feel better that my salespeople are actually getting better, the reality is that the people walking in are becoming more and more qualified every single day because of the website, because of the internet. If I decide I want to embrace that and I want to increase the likelihood of me taking more control of the sales process and and more specifically um, knowing that that is online and I've got a sales staff that I've got to embrace, where do I start? Well, I think the the thing that we try to impress upon new recruits into digital selling is be where the customer is. And that starts with whether they start at a search engine, Google, Yahoo, or Bing, or, or perhaps YouTube, they are in a, a position where uh, we need to see what that guest experience was so that we are then able to empathize with them and, and perhaps suggest to them that, wow, it's wonderful that you've been online. I've done that myself. Uh, I Googled for home furnishings. I Googled for a boat. I Googled for a guitar. And uh, I ended up seeing these links that came through. And I clicked this one because it had a description of what I thought I was looking for. And what we find is, particularly in the automotive business, is once we're able to expose salespeople, sales managers, finance or business managers, to what that customer experience is online, it then kind of does the wiring in our brain to appreciate, oh my gosh, no wonder that customer is impatient when I make them back up and start over. Or no wonder that customer didn't respond to me when I sent this information back to them because they already had it. Or So what we've got to do is to just get on their side of the equation. And I think that's probably the logical place to start, Andy, because then if we can sincerely say to them, I understand how you feel. I felt the exact same way. Uh, But I found when I shopped online, I was able to and then fill in the blank. So I think that's probably the first step uh, that I would start at. And I'd love to get your, your impression of that. Yeah, I love how you kind of phrase that there. And I think I hear a lot of that speaking with sales folks as well, where, you know, they kind of go into these conversations and there's concern about, is this something brand new? And what I'm hearing really from you is that, you know, you're talking about basic sales things that uh, probably many folks are used to doing already in a conversation where someone walked in the door, maybe there wasn't internet involved, right? Where, you know, you're asking some of these questions, what are you into? What are you looking for? you know, what can I help you with? And then basing a a, a conversation on that. And in reality, you have that same sort of thing happening maybe online as you're starting to go down this path. Um, So I'm kind of curious for folks that are diving in there, let's say you are a salesperson and you are facing the concept of a lead coming to you from the internet that you then have to work and may have some information if I'm trying to build on my my professional experience that I already have as a really great salesperson, what types of things should I be looking for in my, in my existing toolbox to really succeed with that internet lead? It is really somewhat controversial in some fields 
particularly because people feel as though if I've shopped online, let's just kind of keep it in that digital environment. Uh, what we've come to understand is if somebody is shopping for any product or service, one thing that they've almost come to consider normal is I'm going to get bad service. So we have kind of walked away from reaching out to the guest by telephone in so many instances. And what we found is when you cold call a customer, they're eating dinner, they're drinking coffee, they're at work or whatever, and they're not expecting a call if they're not shopping for a product or service. So what we found is if somebody moments ago submitted a request, their mind is really focused on that, at least around the five-minute window in between when they were online or they are just coming offline. But whatever product or service they were shopping for, it's still probably still percolating around in their mm, minds. Mm-hmm. What we found is uh, that's the prime time to reach out to them and give them what we would consider extraordinary service, something they wouldn't expect, which is a, a telephone call. Or if we're going to email them, offer the opportunity to, I'm available right now if you want to just jump on the phone. Or same thing with the text message, suggest to them that if you'd be open to it, I've got the information you asked about right here, Uh, let's jump on the phone. And and now the customer is in a position where they're like, oh, you know, I'll I'll walk out here in the hallway. My boss isn't, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about that. And so... You give them that because opportunity. they're curious, right? I mean, they got online for a reason, and you know that's the hard part, right? Is that I think what you're saying makes a tremendous amount of sense because I, I as a consumer, might not have been able to get 100 percent of my question answered, but as as a salesperson, I think inherent in what you're saying is that I'm calling with the answer, yeah, because I, I knew I, I know what you were looking for, and I can I can help you out with that, which is what causes me to say, hey, I'll step out into the hall. It's really about what I was saying earlier about meeting them where they are, right? It's not just about meeting them where they are as far as the search engine, but meeting them where they are in the mental space and in time space, right? Right now, I'm thinking about a couch, so let's chat about it right now. Don't call me tomorrow. Uh, Exactly. And from a tactical standpoint, there's probably someone else in their relationship world that says, did you get that information? And so now, all of a sudden, as a sales agent, you've called them and they're like, well, crap, my significant other's going to ask me about this. I'm going to go ahead and handle that right now. Well, it, I think sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. And we talk a lot about in our company, just a preparation for a call, um, whether regardless of what stage that calls in and trying to tailor whatever you're saying to that individual, even if even if you've never talked to them before. And I look at it and see the amount of data that you can collect and, amount, and based on the actions a consumer's taking when they're researching on your website as a huge advantage, not anything that's a disadvantage or annoying. And so if a salesperson can just take a little bit of time, the ability to impress anybody that they're calling to follow up on in the instance that we're talking about is so easy to stand out just because that consumer is going to go, oh, oh my God, I don't have to tell you who I am again or what I'm looking for or start over. It's like, wow, you actually, you heard me. And people think in my mind, and I'm curious about what your impression is on this, David, but you hear that it's like, no, that's creepy. And I'm like, I don't think anybody has any I, any concerns anymore about me going online and putting information in. That is going somewhere. It's going somewhere. <laughs> it's going you somewhere. You hope it does, right? Yeah. So where are you at on that? And how do you talk to your customers about the creepy factor and the follow-up factor versus, you know, that, that kind of that line. 
I think the real key here is how convenient can you make it for that guest? So we've all been in that situation where we talked to the first line customer service agent, we spilled our guts and we said, hey man, I hate to say it, but I've got to escalate you from Andy to Muhammad. And the next thing you know, Muhammad comes on the phone and goes, this Muhammad, how can I help you? And I'm like, God dang. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Andy for 10 minutes that, you know, my leg is twisted and I need, you know, whatever. I'm going to die here and I'm going to start over again. <laughs> so, so the customer, we call it mirroring back. So you've got this data, whether it's where they clicked, uh, what they've been exposed to. And, and if I can call you up and I can say, Andy, I'm calling from X Retail and thank you so much for requesting information online about the fill in the blank. It appears that you were curious about this specification. I've got that answer for you and wanted to go ahead and share that with you. Now the guy's sitting there going, okay. Huge. Uh, this is about no, me. You're here to help me opposed, out. As opposed to, uh, it's so funny when my brother calls me up, he'll go, David, did I catch you at a bad time? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> and I'll hang up on him. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. He's so irritated with me. But get across, what I try to get across to him is you can invite them to hang up on you. So what, what I found is if I'm a retailer and I'm calling someone who expressed interest, I'm going to open with, uh, hello, Muhammad. I see you requested information about the widget and you wanted to uh, get this information on it. And I've got that for you right now. Now, Muhammad's sitting there going, okay, great. He didn't start with, did I catch you at a bad time? How's your day going? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a stranger and I really don't care how your day's going. And But if I start out with what your intention was, You'll fill the gap and then you'll make that decision whether you step into the hallway, whether you kick your feet up, whether you say, perfect, let's let's hear it. It's just a technique that we've learned that is almost flawless. That's awesome. Now let's say that I'm the I'm the marketing manager, I'm the general manager, I'm the owner or CEO or whatever, and I'm ready to employ this strategy across multiple salespeople. And this is a big one. I think that a lot of people talk about, right? They, they see the results maybe of some other organizations. They hear some of the, you know, discussion or hype around the the idea. They can see what the future could look like, but it can be intimidating, I think, sometimes to really talk about revamping an entire structure in some instances or feeling like you have to. Maybe you don't. You know, maybe we'll hear some of that from you as well, potentially. But the idea of maybe having to unseat something that you've been working on for 20 years to meet this newfangled thing on the internet with these people that are doing something on your website right that's right, right. so yeah and this, this is, is well line. and it's it's you've got in this so i'm gonna you know i'm curious on your opinion here and i know there's multiple strategies for similar outcome but you might have a, a sales force that is how would i say it entrenched in their ways and they've always done it a certain way and now you're asking them to do something different and there are multiple approaches right and so one approach is you you pick a champion and that champion's job is to prove everybody else wrong or you roll it out across the entire sales staff or, you know, a million different things. If it was you, David, what are some of the, some of the things that you've seen done um, to be successful in terms of rolling it out and starting to really leverage the online leads that are being generated? Something that a lot of uh, CEOs and business owners are uncomfortable with is uh, exposing vulnerability. We, we want to be unflappable. We want to be the calm in the storm. And what we found as a common denominator of good business leadership 
uh, particularly when it comes to something new and bit intimidating to the rest of the team is expose them to your own personal vulnerabilities and the fact that you're going to be learning this with them. And whether it's uh, how to utilize a CRM tool, how to do a video, how to uh, text back and forth with a consumer. I think that's what my benefit was, was back in 95, 96, when we started doing internet sales, I couldn't turn to a team member that had experience and say, oh, well, we just hired you from business X or business Y. I want you to come in and do the same thing here. Nobody was doing it. So we had to, as a leader, I had to, as the general manager of our operation, I had to do it myself. And so I, I learned at a very grassroots level what kind of interactive nuances there were. And, and then I was able to stabilize my team by letting them know I've been in the storm and I, I can say firsthand what that's like. And, and we've always heard, if you're afraid to dig a ditch, don't ask your team to do it. You know, be willing to get in there and do it. So I think that exposing them to the vulnerability and the fact that you had to learn yourself understanding the dynamic of your technology. Andy, you all work with CRM tools with your clients and and um, letting them see what that's like. One thing is a common denominator is when it comes to customer relationship uh, management tools and technology, if the general manager or the owner of the business knows how to do it as well as the rest of the team or is the, even the initial teacher, it's remarkable. And uh, so, David, I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to launch. Uh, I've got some buy in. Uh, I'm bought in as the owner. What are early metrics of success? What am I looking for to know I'm heading in the right direction? Let's say I'm, you know, I'm generating leads on my website, so I understand what my my leads are. I've got a CRM, so I've got the, you know, the ability to actually measure conversion and 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 all the things and uh, necessary for that. But h- how do I think about early signs of success? Have you do you have specific metrics that you typically uh, look to? I know there's very sophisticated metrics, and we can get into those. But for for those newbies that are starting, where do you start? Well, so let me let me just put an exclamation point be, behind that phraseology buy-in, and then I'll I'll share the rest of it. Yeah. One thing that we've learned, Andy, is Andy, if you buy in, guess what your team will do? They'll buy in. Yeah, and anytime I hear a business owner say, "I just got to get my team to buy in," what I really try to do is to call a timeout and say, "Okay." why aren't you bought in? They'll be like, I am. And I'm like, yeah, if you're really bought in, then then your team, hey, I'm going to do what the boss wants to do. So the early metric we look for, particularly in this area, is the engagement rate. And it's not a metric that's easily pulled out of uh, conventional CRM tools. So what I'm referring to is if I receive 100 leads and I want to just keep it on a real simple mathematical plane here, if I receive 100 requests, uh, what I need to do is to recognize that the first is to have them answer the phone, respond to an email, call me back, text me back, message me back. So I'm looking for that level of engagement. So what we aim for is an 80% engagement rate within the first 30 days. So uh, skewed very heavily to the first three days. There's a technique that we teach in our business called the three-day personal push. So for the first three days, 
we're amping it up, the level and the personalization and the volume of messages during that most acute time that someone's interested in our product or service. During those first three days, we're really trying to get at least half of those 100 opportunities to acknowledge us. Uh, So if we can get 50% engagement in the first three days, then we're going to spend the next 27 days, if you would, in a 30-day period, getting the rest of the 30% to engage. And Muhammad, you'll appreciate this. We don't call it follow-up after the first three days. We call it marketing. And a lot of people don't know what that really means. But the fact is, every email that I send, every text I send, every voicemail I leave is marketing. I've got to have a great subject line. I've got to have a great message. I've got to have a clickable link. I've got to have something that draws them in. Give them something interesting and you'll get a high engagement rate. At that point, if we can get a high engagement rate, what we're expecting is around 40% of those people, not the ones they engage, but of of the original 100, we're expecting about 40% of them to say, hey, yeah, I'll come in. And the truth is, they won't. But about... (laughs) I love your honesty, uh, David. (laughs) About about 25% of them in our high-performing operations will come in. So if I get a a fourth of the hundred and then 25 of them come in and I sell 60% of them, I close 15% of that original hundred. And and I promise this, Andy and Muhammad, wherever the original metrics end up, the boss is going to say, well, how do we do better? That's right. That's right. And I think that's the second part. But what, what's interesting, I'm going back to your metric, is that that is definitely on the performance, but what's inherent in that is the adoption across the team in order for it to actually be measurable. And you know that you have a team that's engaged, whether it's an individual, whether and you're just piloting it with one person and giving all the leads to one person, um, or you spread it out amongst the team. You can't do that without uh, without that. And you know, you were talking about having that singular metric and then the you know the 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 leader kind of gravitates around it and you start to create strategies we we talk about it all the time in here around the idea that listen any just pick one and and start to get better at it there's no perfect diet there's no perfect workout routine right just pick one and i, I promise you're going to get better around it and then you'll figure out if you want to adjust it but but don't get lost in what's the perfect way to start find one and then get going and then you'll learn along the way but at least you're learning and, you know, to your point, there's, you know, if we're calling it lead to sale, so uh, from an anonymous visitor to a converted lead online to someone who's actually purchasing, once you know what that number is, you're constantly driving to increase that. And so the idea to what your point is, is that I know a number and now yes. I can start to figure out how to make it better. <laughs> Crazy concept, yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, the fact is, it's almost like if you if you uh, have ever been in a city and, and you've got the street preacher out there or the uh, street performer who's doing a mime or or at some point they uh, I go visit my son in Boulder and they've got these street performers. So the, the fellow pulls up, opens up his box and starts setting up. Nobody's sitting there saying, I want to you know watch this person unload their box. But as soon as they get their box set up and, and their frame around it, then they start trying to engage. And to me, you know, once the performance draw people in, 
that's when they go earn their payday. And and I think we've got to work in that engagement. Love business. that. And we don't do a very good job. Sometimes we expect the consumer to go do self-checkout. And, and I think that's why we're starting to see frustration by a lot of retailers saying, hey, I put the buy now button on there and nobody's doing it. And it's like, yeah, you know, you didn't really engage and, and, and you know we're talking a little bit about that, but I guess if we're if we're looking at it from the angle for some things that you've seen that are just like just don't do that. You know we talked about there has to be buying at the top. Are there any other things that you look at that you know is giant red flags that it's going to cause us to go in a bad direction? Some people just are so totally intimidated by it. Uh, what we recommend is as a retailer create parallel paths for your team and try not to say, you know, we're burning the boats and uh, you're either on or you're off. Uh, Because what happens is sometimes we've got people who have 20 years in our business and we, we set a course for something that's pretty dramatically different than what they were with. And they trusted us. They used to pick up our kids at daycare. And next thing you know, because they won't buy into technology, we blow them out of there. And so preserve your current team by trying to give them a path that may not necessarily be this new age approach and and try to keep good institutional knowledge. Just try to be mindful of it. And then uh, be gentle with the technology. Uh, some people are totally enamored with it, curious, and other people physically shake around. <laughs> you just got to make sure that everybody gets their hand held. So we covered a lot of ground here today with the, the setup, the being gentle with the technology, the marrying things back, a little bit of strategy and metrics. For someone really looking at the over, starting the overall strategy, if you had to summarize and you just had one sentence to give them some advice on getting started, what would you tell them? They're on the fence here. I have this quote in our office that Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, and, and I'll, I'll just paraphrase it. Basically, it says, you know, fear not, you know, we're about to embark on something uh, that that's new and different for all of us, uh, but go forward with everlasting grace. So take the first step. And essentially, we're never going to be ready. And something I always tell our team is it will happen slower than we want it to and faster than we're ready for it. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, because as soon as we turn on the website, we we think, oh, my God, it's you know, business is going to happen. Well, it'll happen slow. Uh, but then when it really does hit, you're still not going to be ready for it. So uh, go forth. And so be faithful, you know, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not trying to be religious. By it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should. <laughs> I, I can't afford to get struck down. David, you never disappoint. Uh, great words of wisdom. Thank you so much for uh, joining the bridge and uh, talking to Muhammad and I. We, we really appreciate it. I know the listeners are going to be better off for, for having you on it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Bridge. If you liked what you heard, be sure to jump into the conversation online by following The Bridge Pod hashtag on LinkedIn. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks and stay well.